Okay, Father, we're opening up your word. It's yours. You've got an amazing message for us today. We just want to say thank you for it. And we ask God that it would change our hearts and change our lives, that they might reflect you. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Okay, turn to the book of Ruth, chapter 2. And what we're going to talk a little bit about today is there are times in life that the drama of our lives and God's divine drama meet in an amazing way. Let's watch this video. Thank you, God, for this beautiful day and for the breath in my lungs, my church home, and the friends you've blessed me with, my family, for putting food on the table, my job, a roof over my head, inspiration, health, wealth, happiness, when I lost my job and it made me come to terms with my addictions, the doctor I met when mom was sick that gave me a glimpse of you, for the DWI that got me off the road before I killed someone. For this illness that's helped me slow down and enjoy life. The fight with my wife that led to the counseling that saved our marriage. For killing the old me. And creating something new. Something new. Thank you. Thank you. You know, there's times in our lives that things happen that we can't make sense of. And sometimes it's just normal everyday drama that, that God is up to in the midst of those things. Sometimes we don't get it. Sometimes we don't see it. And sometimes it makes more sense than time. We had one of those last night. I was, we were all getting ready for bed, our, our family. We had watched the movie and we were getting ready for bed. And one of my sons calls me over to the kitchen sink and says, Hey, Dad, come on over here for a minute. So I went over there and he handed me a glass of water. He says, uh, Have some water before bed. I said, okay, why? He says, Dad, it helps you have good dreams. I said, really? He said, uh-huh. I said, okay. So I took the water and drank it. We all went to bed. The middle of the night, all of a sudden, have you ever had this? You're in sleep and you can't make sense of something that's going on. All of a sudden, I vaguely hear this. Boom, 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 like this, running. I mean, somebody is running in our house. And all of a sudden, the bedroom door goes flying open. I mean, just bam, door goes open. Dad, dad, you know? And I go flying out of bed. My wife, she's like a cat, you know? She's on the, she's on the ceiling, you know? I'm like, what's the matter? He goes, you were screaming. I go, I was sleeping. <laughs> I said, it must have been the water. <laughs> well, you know, we have never had anything quite like that before, so I'm pondering, what are you trying to tell us? What's up, God? Why did you do that? And I can't sometimes make sense, but you know, that's how life is. Sometimes life, there's drama that happens in life. And you know this, drama happens that you look at it and you scratch your head and go, 
I'm not getting this. And then every once in a while, God allows you to see the divine drama intersecting with the human drama, and you look at it, and your eyes get about this big and say, now I get it. We're going to see one of those. In Ruth chapter 2, last week we studied Ruth chapter 1. If you weren't here last week, let me highly encourage you, go online, listen to that message, because that was a life-changing message. And this one, likewise, is amazing how it builds on it. Real simply, the story up to now is that there was a famine in the land, and Naomi and her husband take their two sons off to Moab, where they should never have gone, except God was in it. And they went over there, and the two boys married these women. Well, it turns out all three of the men died. And Naomi and her one daughter and all, Ruth, they come back to Moab. But the key that we're going to take off from today is that she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. So you knew with Naomi that she was starting at a low in her life. I mean, a bitterness of soul. I think in her mind that when her two sons died, she died, her dreams died, her hope died, her future died. Now she has no sons. Any inheritance that her sons would have received is now gone. There's no family name. There's no family inheritance. Everything for the future is really bad for this woman. So she comes back. And Ruth 2 starts right there. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now, let me just pause here. I don't want to go into great detail about this, but Boaz, I don't know about you, but for, forever, every time I heard the name Boaz, I couldn't help but think about Bozo. Bozo the clown. Remember Bozo? I mean, I grew up with Bozo, and I always thought about Boaz like Bozo. And boy, did God humble me, because... It says he was a man of standing. And I said, well, i got to go find out what that means. And found that same phrase, God used that same word, that same Hebrew word, God used for Gideon. Now, if you don't know much about Gideon, you can read about it. Judges chapter 6 and 7. He was a mighty man of valor. He was a warrior. God used that term with Gideon and said, greetings, O you of mighty valor. And he's like, what's that supposed to mean? Well, guess what? That's the same term that he uses for Boaz. So you have this guy that's, he's a mighty warrior and high standing, and everybody knows about this guy. Everybody in the community knows about him. Okay, verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I, I find favor. This is where God, God is, he's so dramatic. You know, he's talking about Boaz, you know, this mighty guy. And then he talks about the Moabitess. I mean, that was almost, you know, degrading. And so he's contrasting these two individuals. They could not be, biblically, they could not be further apart from each other. And isn't that how God works sometimes? works in the most unlikely situations to do some of the most amazing work. So Naomi and Ruth, they're getting hungry. They're widows. They have no land. You see, what happened was before they went to Moab, 
they mortgaged their land. But in the Old Testament, when you mortgage your land, you actually turn it over to the person who gives you the money. It's not, it's not your land anymore. Not until the 50th year, which is the year of Jubilee, then according to Levitical law, it reverts back to the family. So when you mortgage your land and get the money, it's gone for most people's whole lives. It's gone. So she has no land. She can't farm her own land. She has no land. She has no inheritance. She has nothing. And she's hungry. So what do you do? So Naomi, or Ruth, said to her mother-in-law, how about I just go and I'll pick up after those that are reaping in lands in some of the farm fields. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now go back to verse, uh, the middle of verse 3. As it turned out. Don't you love it when God does that? You know, just happen, happen chance, by chance. No, it wasn't. It was God was beginning to unveil this amazing divine plan. And Ruth was just going about her day, looking for food, and God was all over it. And by coincidence, I love that word, and here's what I mean by coincidence, any incident that happens, when it's a coincident, it's God is the cooperating person. So when somebody says to you, oh, what a coincidence, you should be able to say, you're right, you're absolutely right. God was the co in that incident. So it was a God incident. And so in this case, it just so happened, as it turned out, God was all over it. Ruth meanders into this field, and she starts to glean. Just then, verse 4, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Isn't that a great thing? Can we try that? The Lord be with you. That's awesome. You know what I really miss in our English language? We don't have expressions like this that we use on a daily basis. When we lived in Guatemala, what you always said whenever you left somebody, does anybody know the word for goodbye in Spanish? Adios. So everybody says adios. Well, do you know what? Adios means? A means commending to. Dios is God. So they say, to God, I'm giving you to God. And you would say, to God, I'm giving you. And it was really cool. In fact, they used adios oftentimes for when they would greet somebody, not just when they would say goodbye. So you'd go into some place and you'd say, adios, and they'd say, adios. And when you leave, you say, adios, and they say, adios, and you kind of smile. I mean, get the picture why God is so funny on this? This is a country that doesn't really believe in God. And they're all talking about God. And you know what I found out? I did some hunting. And I found the most amazing thing that was like, wow, how come nobody ever told me this? We have an expression when you leave somebody, you say goodbye, right? Do you know that the word goodbye never showed up in the English language until 1573? The word goodbye was not in existence. Do you know what everybody said when they left each other? God be with you. 
And in 1573 was the first time that the word goodbye entered into the dictionary because it was starting to be used. And goodbye was a derivative of God be with you was changed to goodbye. I didn't know that. See, we had it in our own language that, and this is where God's amazing, that when God established these 5,800 languages, isn't it amazing that God made sure that his name was in the languages and yet we changed it. We took him out. And you and I didn't even know it. Okay, verse 5. So Boaz asked the foreman of the harvesters, uh, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she's the Moabitess. See, God keeps reminding us, where's her standing? She has no standing. She's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Let me explain a little bit about the law back in these days. It was God's law that if you were a farmer, you could not harvest your whole field. It was against the law. You had to leave the edges, and in particular, you had to leave the corners where nobody was harvesting. You had to leave that. God said, you leave that for the widows and for those that are foreigners because they have no means to feed themselves. And so every farmer would always leave the edges and leave the corners. Well, they were only allowed by law to harvest once. You could not go through two times. So what they would do is that they would hire people the men would go out into the field and cut down like the barley, and then they would hire oftentimes other servants to follow behind them, and what they would do is they would pick up all of the grain that was left over because you couldn't do it twice, so you had to make sure you got it all the first time. So now you have Ruth coming along, and Ruth really was not even supposed to be on the premises while they're harvesting, she was supposed to not show up until after dark, which was a very dangerous thing to do, but she went to see if maybe somebody would allow her during the day to uh, harvest or to glean, as they call it. So she went and she found that she was on this field and, and Boaz's workers, the person in charge, said, that would be fine, you're allowed, not just on the edges, he said, Ruth, you're allowed to follow these other people and you can pick up whatever you find. Okay, verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Okay, don't, don't skim over that. What did he call her? My daughter. What has she been referred to up to this point? The Moabite woman. But Boaz, this man of great standing in the presence of those he is with, calls out to her very affectionately and calls her my daughter. He elevated her to a standing that was amazing, that would be equal to that of his own daughter. And it must have just surprised everybody. You see, that's the heart of a godly person. And that's what Boaz is. And the heart of a godly person, doesn't matter who you are, they're going to elevate you and give you a status of honor. That's what godly people do. Godly people don't look down at other people. They don't make fun of other people. They don't put people in their place. They use their position 
and they elevate up to the status even higher of those that he was, was working with him. It's amazing that Boaz did this. And it's amazing that God does that same thing. See, don't miss that about God. And Boaz was, was following God. That God elevates you and I who are sinners to what stance? Where's our place with God? Sons and daughters of God. That's what Boaz was doing. So he says, my daughter, listen to me, verse 8. Uh, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you whenever you are thirsty. Go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? What a humble heart. She asked a good question. Why? Why are you doing this? And this word favor is the word grace. Why are you treating me better than I deserve? Why are you treating me better than everybody else around here since I've been to Bethlehem? Why are you treating me in this incredible way? And he's going to explain it in a minute. But isn't that true? When you and I show grace and favor to others and use whatever position we have to elevate others and show grace and kindness and goodness to others, they will ask, why? Why are you doing this? What a great testimony for you and I to say, I mean, we can, we can step into there. Why? Because that's how God treats me. With that same grace. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to testify to God's grace in our lives when we show grace to others. Well, he answers the question, verse 11. I've been told about all... Uh, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Now, you can look this up. You might want to make a little note. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The expression that Boaz just used aligns up perfectly with when Abraham left his homeland. And God said, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to go to a people that you don't know. And Abraham said, okay, and picked up, and he went. And so you can see in Boaz's mind, he's making some connections here. Wow, Abraham did that, and he's honoring this woman from Moab with the same words that Abraham used in Genesis 12. There's a correlation there. Then he does this. Okay, this really changed me, i got to tell you. Verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wings you have come to take, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, I want to pause there, because I don't want you to miss something. This is one of the coolest things. Boaz is showing grace. Ruth is grateful. And Boaz prays a prayer of blessing. Have you ever prayed for someone? Of course you have. I would venture to say every one of you have prayed for someone. You know what's amazing about this? He prays a prayer of blessing over her. But what he didn't know is that God was going to say to him, okay, Boaz, you're it. 
See, it's easy to just write the check and send it. But God's saying, no, 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 you come along with it. It's easy to just pray for someone else. God says, no, Boaz, uh, you are the answered prayer. And that was amazing for me. Are you and I open to that? Do you see, when God puts something in our hearts for someone else, God doesn't put it in our heart just so that we, just so that we pray. God wants us involved in it. On a smaller scale, let me, let me try to explain this, because this just happened to me. A few weeks ago, we went and saw Ken Davis, the comedian, and Project Compassion, or Compassion International, they were there. In fact, they're coming to Messiah in two weeks. And this little girl, we had a picture of this little girl. Her name was Gloria. And she was just right by our chairs where we were sitting, and she caught our attention. And we decided as a family that we were going to support her every month. What I didn't know is what God was going to do to me. That bringing that picture of that little girl home, what I didn't know is that this little girl was going to now be overwhelming in my heart. I didn't know that. And since the day that we brought her home, I can't walk past the picture without stopping and praying. Her name is Gloria from Indonesia. And I, and I was just thinking, okay, we'll write the check. God said, no, you accompany it. You're in. You're in this little girl's life now. You are to pray for her constantly. I have prayed more for that little girl and continue to pray for her and continue to pray for her. I have no idea what goes on in her life. But don't miss what I'm teaching, what God is teaching. When God puts something on your heart, don't think you can just write the check or lift the prayer and say, I'm done. I did my thing. God is usually putting those things on your heart and then saying, now what? Now what are you going to do? And that was, for me, a takeaway that was pretty overwhelming that God wants us intimately involved. When God puts something on our heart, it's by divine. God is doing that. The Holy Spirit is putting something on our heart, and it's to move us to do something. And maybe not just pray. Maybe not just write the check. Maybe for us to go. Okay, verse 14. Uh, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And he just treats her really with incredible grace and favor. Verse, jump down to verse 17 now. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then the, the, she threshed the barley that she had gathered, and it amounted to about an afa. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over from lunch after she had eaten enough. Okay, this is, if you will, the divine moment in this book. Because something happened here. Let me 
try to walk you through it and explain it. She comes in the house and she has an ephah. Now, can you picture a bushel like a bushel of apples? It is two-thirds filled with grain. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but often when these women would go and glean in the fields, they would get a little, just a small bag that would feed them just for that day. It was literally hand to mouth. And Ruth walks in with a bushel basket. Normally she would have come home with about three pounds, maybe four at tops, and she walked in with about 40 pounds of grain. And when she walked in the door, Naomi's eyes went like this. Wow! Where did you get that? And what she didn't realize is that God had met her where she was at, at the bottom. And God, for the first time in her life, was resurrecting hope. Let's watch it now. Verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Okay, now, remember the last time we heard from Naomi in chapter 1? Call me bitter. Call me Mara. Because she blames the Almighty. She blames God for where she's at and holds God responsible. And all of a sudden you hear from the same woman, what's the first word out of her mouth? Blessed. And she's praying a prayer of blessing over this man. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. At this, she probably about fell off her chair. Like, what did you just say? You didn't say Boaz, did you? You mean the Boaz? Yeah, Boaz. And you know why? All of a sudden she had this tremendous hope. Because you see, Boaz was probably a second cousin to her husband. Now remember, she mortgaged the ground so she had nothing. Nothing. With no hope of anything. And the hope of her getting married was slim to none. The hope of her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's a Moabite woman, getting married was slim to none. And she finds herself in the field of Boaz, who treats her very kindly, and Boaz is a relative of the family. Now, we'll learn more about this in the coming weeks, but he was a kinsman redeemer. That means next of kin. And being the next of kin, he could buy back the land that the husband sold on behalf of Naomi. So Naomi went from being destitute, having no food, having nothing, no hope, no future, nothing at all, and her daughter-in-law comes back filled beyond measure. Instead of having a day of food, she brings home a week of food for the two of them. That was a lot for a widow to do. Not only that, but then Boaz told her, I want you to keep gleaning in these fields of mine until the harvest is over. That was four months. So I took out my calculator, I did a little bit of math, and found out that she would have brought home in the course of these four months almost 80 bushels of barley and wheat, which would have sustained these two women for at least a year, probably a year and a half. So just imagine, 
Imagine being completely destitute. Now all of a sudden you have more hope. Verse 20. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, so, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now there's more to this story. But I want to I scan ahead and show you the change that began to happen in Naomi from this day. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day, in these four months, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Isn't Boaz, with whose servant girls you've been a kinsman of ours? Now understand that marriages were arranged. Can you see the deviousness of Naomi? She's thinking, I wonder if I can get the two of them married. Wow, would that be amazing? Here's what I want you to grab from this. Sometimes in life, in our drama, we're down here. We see no hope. And sometimes we're just living our life but there are times that God's divine drama and our lives intersect. And when those times intersect, it's one of those moments like Naomi, our eyes get real big. We begin to see that God knew what he was doing all along, and it was part of his plan. Let me take you to Easter morning. You've got 12 disciples, destitute, actually 11 at this point. Destitute, no hope, no friend, no Jesus, nothing. And Sunday morning was like a big fog, kind of like driving in today, wasn't it? It's just big fog, can't see, you can't see what's going on. And all of a sudden, these women come back from the tomb, and the fog lifts for a brief moment and say he's alive. And they didn't get it. But you can imagine at that moment, there was excitement like, could, could it really be true? Really? Uh, honestly? He, he might be alive? Friends, you may be at times in your life in a in a what seems to be hopeless for any number of reasons and seeing nothing no future nothing and then God starts to work and lifts that fog just enough for you to see that he was in control all along and was doing something in your life over those months or years that you couldn't begin to fathom. And that's why Paul said to us in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I believe, 5, 7, says, we live by faith, not by sight. The things that are going on in your life that you see may not be the whole story. That's the sight story. But the faith story is the divine story of what God is up to in the midst of what we see 
And that's why God keeps telling us, don't live by sight. Live by faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're amazing. This book of Ruth has been so amazing. The things that we're learning, and we want to say thank you, Lord, for this woman. Lord, thank you that you left a record of this story for us to hear and to learn and to study about the divine drama along with the earthly drama. That even when the earthly doesn't make sense, the divine is amazing how it interacts in our lives. May we be men and women of faith that we're always watching and waiting and looking for you in everything that we do. Bless us today, Father. Thank you for the hope and the encouragement that we have no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen.